Theodore Roosevelt, at your service. Teddy, can you get us out of here? Can't do it, man. This is your moment. Will you save the lectures, please? I'm not you, okay? I didn't build the Panama Canal. I wasn't president of the United States. I need some help. Come on. Hi there, and welcome to Baseball by Design. I am SportsLogos.net minor league baseball correspondent Paul Caputo, broadcasting live, as always, from the Sunday Helmet Hall of Fame in my basement in Fort Collins, Colorado. Today we're going to be talking about the AA Frisco Rough Riders. I'll be speaking with designer Jason Klein of the design firm Brandios. I will be speaking with President Roosevelt himself, the Colonel, and I'll be speaking with living history interpreter Joe Wiegand. And, of course, Dan Simon will be here with one of his studio Simon Stumpers. Right now, I'm so pleased to be joined by Scott Burchett, who is the general manager of the Frisco Rough Riders, has been with the team since 2004. The current role that Scott has is, is general manager, but has been around for a long time. Scott, thank you so much for, for joining me. Thanks for having me, Paul. I'm going to start with a really basic question. What's a Rough Rider? <laughs> yeah, that is a, a a very good question. So the, the roots of our original logo and uh, a team name came back from Mandalay Sports Days. They owned several different minor league teams throughout the country. And John Spolstra, kind of a sports marketing wizard at the time, really was the, the brains behind the original name. Um, and uh, here in Frisco uh, was old cattle country. And there was basically the Shawnee Trail ran right by the ballpark. So... He originally actually wanted to name the team the Drovers, believe it or not, which was the uh, the uh, folks that drive the cattle up the uh, of the cattle trails. Hmm. Uh, but after just some, I guess, workshopping and and discussion, they ended up with uh, with Rough Riders and kind of our original logo was more of an old Western motif uh, with a horse and rider on it. Yeah, well, that switch has been pretty important, right? The switch from the the sort of more generic. Rough Rider character to one who is specifically Teddy Roosevelt, and there's some you know great. We're going to talk to Jason Klein from from Brandios. We've 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 had a lot of characters swinging bats from Brandios over the years, but this is one with Teddy Roosevelt himself swinging a bat. Obviously, Teddy Roosevelt has a history with the Rough Riders, uh, you know himself. What is you know what what is that story and why is it important to you know Frisco, Texas? No doubt. So when we rebranded the team in 2015, we really wanted to go back to what the core of the Rough Riders are, which is Teddy Roosevelt and his Rough Riders who rode in the Spanish-American War. Um, a lot of those uh, volunteers that participated in the battle actually came from the North Texas area. So we really wanted to honor them and 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 come up with something that that kind of fit there, the historical ties and and the baseball ties as well. So we collaborated with the Brandios um and started that whole kind of uh, creative brainstorming process and jason and his whole team were great to work with uh went through many 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 rounds of iterations and designs and brainstorming um and and we we kept coming back to really that historical you know teddy roosevelt and bringing him to life um i think they really nailed it as far as the minor league baseball logos go um, it's whimsical, it's fun, but at the same time, it's classical as well. And, it, it, and I think it's one of those ones that's going to age well over time. So you were with the team in 2015 when this rebrand happened. Mm -hmm. Was it obvious to the local community what the significance was of, uh, you know, of having, of switching from this, I don't want to say generic, but, you know, this very serious rough rider on a horse, head down, you know, is the, the, the 
sort of old timey clothes flapping in the wind as he's as he's yeah. riding right and then yeah. you know here's sort mm-hmm. of portly old teddy roosevelt swinging a baseball bat what was that connection obvious to the local community how was that received yeah it was certainly obvious to to some but at the same time we were pretty careful with the storytelling behind it as well and just to get the word out about uh why we're doing it and how we're doing it and just all the details that go into making up a logo you know we were very particular for example with the color scheme of the logo it's red white and blue um you know typical of an american flag but our thought process was, you know, that's more of the colors of the American flag that sit out and baked in the Texas sun. So all those colors are a little muted. So instead of a really bright red, it's more of kind of a, a scorched, uh, burnt red. Uh, same thing with the blue. It's a little muted and darker. And then we don't have any whites in our logo either. So all of the whites in our color scheme are a nice cream color. So if it's kind of faded over time. So um, that's just one example. But we went through the entire storytelling of Teddy Roosevelt and his connection here to the community uh, just to really put a you know a bow on it. So there's a connection between the brand, the team, and the logo. Sure. I'm just going to read a little bit from the the article that I wrote back in 2015 about the team. I said, uh, on July 1st, 1898, the 1st United States Volunteer Cavalry charged alongside other military regiments, most notably the Buffalo Soldiers, into the bloody Battle of San Juan Hill in Cuba, helping to deliver a decisive blow in the Spanish-American War. With Spanish troops retreating and ultimately leaving Cuba shortly after the battle, the U.S. would declare victory in the war just weeks later. The 1st United States Volunteer Cavalry, which was commonly referred to as the Rough Riders, was led by former Assistant Secretary of the Navy and future U.S. President Theodore Roosevelt. History remembers the Volunteer Cavalry as a hodgepodge band of outdoorsmen, ranchers, cowboys, Ivy League athletes, Texas Rangers, Native Americans, and others, many of them from Texas. They would see action in two other battles, but it was their role in the charge up San Juan Hill in support of Cuban independence from Spain that has become the stuff of legend. So that was a lot of that wasn't like obvious to me as a mm-hmm. as a baseball fan for sure. I mean that history, right? Like the connection of of Teddy Roosevelt to the Battle of San Juan Hill, and maybe I'm showing my ignorance here, but that wasn't obvious to me. Is that a part of the culture in Texas? If I grew up in Frisco, would I just know that story by heart instead of having to read it from an article that I wrote? Um, yes and no. Uh, it probably more so than uh, th- th- than other parts. But at the same time, we did have to take some efforts just to educate our fan base and um, be able to tell the story. So if you walk around the ballpark and you go into, you know, certain areas, we have different motifs of Teddy Roosevelt and military guard, military uniform, um, showing all the cadets from that time. Uh, we have the famous picture of him um, on a bull moose. That was one of his nicknames as well. Um, you know, riding through. It's actually one of the first Photoshop jobs ever done, by the way. Oh, uh, him yeah. on the bull, him on the bull moose. That that wasn't a real picture. If you go back <laughs> and, and and read the history about that. But to your point, um, yeah, we we have had to tell that story and um, and, and be able to educate our fan base. Of course, people around here grow up, you know, reading about the Alamo and Texas history. Sure. Um, not not as much um, on the. Uh, Spanish-American War, but it probably is a little bit more in the common vernacular than than maybe other parts of the country. Sure. So minor league baseball being what it is, the first United States Volunteer Cavalry was called the Rough Riders. That's Rough Riders, two words, capital R, capital R with a space in between. Obviously the team, one word, but still with two capital R's. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's an interesting distinction to, you know, to eliminate that space as just sort of part of the the minor league baseball vernacular. Is that ever 
part of a conversation? Do you ever talk about, you know, should we, should it be two words instead of one? We did when, when we went through the rebranding stage, uh, but, but honestly, not much since then. It's, it's, um, I wish I had a better answer for you, but it's <laughs> yeah, kind of the way that we've always done it. Um, and I think that's what our fan base is used to. And that's what our fan base is used to see it. So uh, we did change a whole lot in 2015. So it was nice to kind of keep the same team name in the same way that they've, they've seen it just to connect the two eras together. Sure. So the, the Rough Riders are a double A affiliate of the Texas Rangers. Texas mm-hmm. Rangers, you know better than I do. What, what is it, a 20-minute drive to get from ballpark to ballpark? Uh, a little bit more than that. It's probably 45 minutes to an hour. Oh, is it? Um, yeah, and DFW traffic can be uh, quite a bear sometimes, so it could yeah. be more than that depending on what day you're trying to go out. Okay. But the the Rangers, you know, their name is obviously rooted in in the local history as well. Mm-hmm. Does that strengthen the connection between the, the Rough Riders and their parent club that both have sort of this historical context there to their nicknames? Yeah, I think so. Um, and a lot of the teams around here obviously have more of that old kind of Western um, origin of their logo. When you look at, you know, Texas Rangers, Dallas Mavericks, obviously Dallas Cowboys. So sure. I think we fit right into that and kind of the history and the culture of of what defines DFW. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have to say one of my favorite features, this is not related to the nickname. I'm sure you get asked about it all the time. I have mm-hmm. never gotten to be in a lazy river at a baseball Uh game the lazy river obviously is a huge part of i don't know if it's part of the brand of the team but it's certainly part of the brand of the ballpark and the the rough riders experience yeah what was the thinking in in putting a a a lazy river i mean obviously people who are in the lazy river aren't paying real close attention to the game what was the uh what was the thinking in in putting a lazy river in the outfield well, we had a pool. It was more of a residential style pool out in the outfield. Um, you've seen those at some other ballparks. You know, Arizona's had one for a while. Round Rock has one down there. Um, it did really well. It sold out. So uh, when Chuck Greenberg, our owner, bought the team, um, we started some uh, ideas and some um, just brainstorming on how to renovate the stadium, and how, how to maximize the fan experience. Um, and one of the things that we brought up was basically adding a second pool. The first one was so popular, let's add a second one. Well, as things typically go during the creative and brainstorming process, that pool kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger <laughs> and bigger to where it basically took up all of right field, um, which coincidentally is the hottest part in the ballpark um, as, you know, in Texas can get quite warm during the summer. So we wanted to take, you know, what could be seen as a negative in some eyes and turn that into a positive because when it's hot outside, you enjoy being in the pool and swimming around. So it ended up being a, a massive pool strip stretching pretty much all of right field and then during a meeting one day um i don't remember who originally brought it up but all of us kind of at the same time said hey let's make it a lazy river um, and i'm so glad we did because it made it a unique feature and it's such a cool place to, to to watch a ball game i think chuck puts it well when he describes it as kind of that that new roller coaster that six flags might have where not everybody um gets to ride it but everybody talks about it so it certainly is a focal point something unique and certainly that makes our ballpark different really proud of it how do you get to be in it is it a special ticket or can you just you know do you wait in line how do you how does one get to participate yeah. in the lazy river 
Yeah, it, it, it is a special ticket. We have to do that for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, for, first of all, code, because you're going to have so many, so many people in the water at one time. Um, so we um, we sell it to private groups five nights out of the week. And then on Thursday, it's a 21 and up party as part of our rowdy at the river, mm-hmm. um, where uh, Frisco turns into, uh, I guess, a light Vegas for the weekend. And then nice. uh, Sunday's our family day out there to where you can buy a single game ticket and all for one price. You get access to the game, the lazy river um, and the whole experience. Family day is sort of a recovery day from Rowdy at the River, I guess. <laughs> it it might be. Usually different demos and different crowds out there, but it's kind of all things for all people, and it's it's a lot of fun. And and um, we have a heater on that thing, so even in the uh, you know April and May, early May when it's a little cooler, we can heat that up as you know hot as we want to, make it probably the world's largest hot tub. Uh, but then after that, uh, when summer hits, it's a nice place to cool down uh, throughout the Texas heat. When you guys were playing at Dr. Pepper Ballpark, which was the, the former name of the ballpark, I, I just had this vision of the the Lazy River being filled with Dr. Pepper. And I just I could picture myself on a on a floaty with a big straw on a river full of Dr. Pepper at a baseball game. And that sounded amazing. It's not a bad thing at all. And actually, when we were going through the whole launching of the Lazy River, I can find the information and send it to you. But we did the math on it with how many 12-ounce Dr. Peppers would fit in the Lazy River itself, just as some of the marketing material, just some of those wacky stats out there that were eye-catching. I would love to know the answer to that question, actually. Yeah. I have one last question for you before I let you go here. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I think throwbacks are, are really popular these days. You've got a lot of teams sort of reprising old brands. This team, before it moved to Frisco was playing in Shreveport and they were the Shreveport Swamp Dragons and they had yeah. this very like 90s logo uh lime yeah. green with a with a dragon a swamp dragon holding a baseball one of these ones that like desperately needed to be changed but now like looking back in retrospect it's you know would be a really fun sort of retro brand do you guys ever think yep. about trotting that old <laughs> brand out on a on a retro night we have discussed that, and that, that that might be coming down the pipe here in the next couple of years. This year is all focused on our 20th anniversary. Okay. Um, so every Sunday, we're bringing back our, um, our original uh, Rough Rider uniforms with our Sunday reds and the old horse and rider cap. But nice. um, I think that's a great idea, and that might be something that we'll be uh, considering in future years. Have, have you done the deep dive down the Swamp Dragons logo tree with uh, with John Spolster and the New York uh, New Jersey Net story? No, I haven't. That sounds like a great idea for an episode. It is a it is a great one. Uh, it is fascinating. Uh, from my understanding, John Spolster, I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. um, who was uh, one of the executives at Mandalay Sports, our original owner, one of the ones that named the Shreveport Swamp Dragons. He had it all lined up to rename the New Jersey Nets the oh. Swamp Dragons uh, back in the uh, back in the eighties before David Stern stepped in for the last minute and said, uh, no, you can't do that. So, uh, as far as logo stories goes, it's a pretty good one. That is definitely going to be worth exploring. I've got to start looking into that. <laughs> That's an awesome fact, Scott. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you hopping on with me this morning. Where can people find you? Where can people find the team on- online and on social media? Absolutely. Look us up on uh, writersbaseball.com or you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, anywhere you uh, anywhere you peruse social media. We'd love to have you out at the game this summer. All right. That'll be in the show notes. And I can't wait to get to a game and I'm definitely going to buy a ticket to the Dr. Pepper uh, Lazy River. Awesome. Love to have you out. All right, everyone. Welcome back. I'm so pleased to welcome back to the show my friend, friend of Baseball by Design, Jason Klein of Brandios. Jason, how are you? Yeah. We're, we're, oh, this is going to be a fun one. 
This is a fun one. This is this is a little bit different. This this logo was a little bit different for you guys. This was a uh, a historical character come to life. Teddy Roosevelt is the foundation for the Frisco Rough Riders. Creating a logo based on Teddy Roosevelt must have been fun. I mean, looks Man. like just looking at the logo it looks like it was fun. Yeah, and this brand on the surface feels very straightforward and very um, sort of clean and major league. And it was it had more rounds than you would imagine. It was, I mean, the first was, um, the first thing we realized because they had gone there like sort of black and they were red and it was very hoarse. And the reason, um, if you're not familiar, but the reason that the uh, Rough Riders became the Rough Riders was because uh, Teddy Roosevelt had this group, the Rough Riders, and they were in Texas supporting the Texas Rangers. So um, Chuck Greenberg, who's a good friend of ours, and he um, had, you know, we'd worked with him in State College and Myrtle Beach. Um, he was like, hey, Jason, I really want to go major league on this. Like, I really want to go like a major, like a major league brand. And I felt like, I was like, Chuck, man, we got to like do Teddy Roosevelt. Like, this is, this is great. Like, it's, yeah. it's the namesake. It opens up the story. So we explored a lot of different concepts. I mean, there was some horse stuff in there, but ultimately it was, you know, sort of very like Texas and rangery and like, you know, the rough riders. And so lots of concepts, um, early concepts explored the horse, but we realized at some point, like, nah, it just wasn't it. So there's all these questions about like, where are the lap overs between, um, Teddy Roosevelt, Texas and baseball. Um, and we, we knew like we could get this like image of Teddy Roosevelt. And so we had, the, there's an iconic image of him where he's laughing. Um, and I think it was when he was the president, but he wasn't a rough rider then. But so the image, the actual logo, his face is as close as we can get to his presidential laughing smile, but he's wearing the slouch hat uh, from his rough rider days. Uh -huh. So, um, but boy, we went back and forth and back and forth on tweaking little things to like, can we make it look like Teddy Roosevelt? Can we make, you know, what are the colors going to be? Um, you know, the slouch hat was tan. So we felt like, oh, we're going to have some tan in there. You know, what is the relationship with the Texas Rangers colors? Could we do Texas colors? So sort of red, white, and blue, but then you have tan and um, and the other element was his nickname was Bull Moose. Hmm. And so we had this idea of like, could we have, um, you know, I think there's an image somewhere. I don't, I have it in front of me. I don't know if it was like a doctored up, but it was like Teddy Roosevelt, like um, in Life Magazine, riding a moose maybe. Okay. Um, and so we were like, oh, that should be it. It should be like him <laughs> riding a moose. And we had these early concepts of him, like, like it was a bucking Bronco, but it was like yeah. a moose. Right. And like him riding on it. So real fun, um, you know, sort of keep dialing it in, dial it again. Um, we started getting into like um, cream as a color. There weren't a lot of teams with cream uh, uniforms or like, let's do cream uniforms. Kind of gives that old school, um, you know, Teddy Roosevelt era baseball, um, you know, the Texas star uh, dotting Frisco and riders. Um, the belt buckle continued at some point, you know, like I said, the, the uh, Teddy ride, the moose dropped off, um, the swinging character. And at some point we were like doing swing characters. This point, the swinging character served a purpose, which was, um, like we, we wanted to like signify it was an MLB sort of identity. And, you know, if you're like, well, how do you get MLB, but also keep a character and fun swinging fryer, Mr. Met, Mr. Red legs. Um, and then you have the swing in Teddy. Absolutely. Well, and then. <laughs> 
the swinging character and the smiling character are great, right? Because you, you you're talking about you know, how do we identify that this is actually Teddy Roosevelt? And yeah. I mean, were there yeah. things that were sort of specific to you that you said, we got to have this to make sure people see that it's Teddy Roosevelt? Yeah. And this was the, you. it has to be a quick read, right? You have to look at it and go, that's Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. And you have to do it in a way that's really simple because it's not a painting, it's a logo. Right. So you have to have like, what are the quick reads that are going to, to register? In a lot of ways, and this happens a lot, our collective memory of what we think an object or a person or a thing looks like may not actually be what the real thing looks like. Mm. So if you try to design off the real thing, um, it feels wrong. Right. But if you take these sort of like sort of stereotypes of what something looks like and you sort of lean more into that, it reads quicker. So for example, um, when we got into the, and now we're getting into the weeds, like really trying to dial in, no, like how do this. we make it? Yeah. So we had a picture of Robin Williams um, from Night at the Museum. Um, we had, um, you know, paintings of like Norman Rockwell's paintings of like Teddy Roosevelt. And we have like a, a Teddy Roosevelt bobblehead. And so we're looking at, and these are all really characters if you think about it, right? They're not photos, they're like movies, they're bobbleheads, they're like paintings. They're like, what does the world think about and not just the presidential one, because there's a you know, sort of presidential black and white version. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we have the slouch hat. So we, you're like, OK, we knew the monocles. Uh, yeah, the monocles were a big thing. The mustache um, was going to be a big thing. Um, also, this like like this like collar that like wrapped like, sort of like wraps around your neck. Mm -hmm. um, and the mustache, too. Right. Like, I think we looked at it with brown mustache. Um, and then it just didn't feel right. And then it wasn't until you get like a white mustache on there that you were like, oh, okay, this feels like Teddy Roosevelt. But you're like, wait a second, the white mustache was from the presidential or not. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, you got to go back. Like, and so you're trying to figure out, I think we ended up on the brown mustache. Um, but it was like, what color mustache do we associate with it? And like, so, and what is realistic versus, you know, what is realistic rough rider versus realistic presidential, yeah. um, you know, the slouch hat being an Australian kind of element and like, does it feel too Australian? Does it feel American? You know, how do we use the least amount of lines? How do we show that it's, you know, these are glasses because I think we had, we didn't have the reflection on the glasses originally yeah. and it looked kind of dead. Mm. And we were like, okay, um, we had to put reflection in the glasses. And then it just, you know, we, we had individual teeth because he's got like real like tic-tac teeth. Yeah. Um, if you look at photos of them, but then it looked really creepy. It looked like a skull. <laughs> and so we're like, okay, the tic-tac teeth isn't working. Yeah. And so there's a lot of like, what is, what is, you know, realistic like tic-tac teeth, but versus, versus like, what do we associate with? And, yeah. you know, the big jovial smiles presidential, but we're really trying to do the, you know, the rough run. So it was a lot of that. And then, not to mention color because the slouch cat has a sort of Australian outback color to it. We also wanted to include red, white, and blue. Um, a lot of, um, you know, we felt denim was a or slate blue is what we're calling mm -hmm. it. Like was be a good color to sort of give it that blue collar can do work ethic. Um, so very like work clothes, um, you know, getting to work clothes, denim, khaki, um, and then having to balance it with, you know, you have too many colors and you got a problem. So this one is actually on the higher side. It's got six colors, um, which is, mm. which is higher than we normally would go. It might be the highest for team identity, but it just, 
it was, you know, when he, he just, yeah, it was yeah. tough. <laughs> it's interesting to, to to hear what you say about like basing the logo on caricatures of Teddy Roosevelt rather than Teddy Roosevelt himself. It kind of reminds me of like, it's easier to like imitate somebody's speech pattern once you hear it imitated. Like, like right. when Dana Carvey started doing Jimmy Stewart, everyone suddenly had a Jimmy Stewart impression, right? Because right. like you, you heard the caricature and then like that, the, or, or like George Bush, right? Like when Will Ferrell started doing George right. Bush, how, like how those speech patterns became so recognizable. So that's, that's a really fascinating sort of visual connection to that phenomenon, I think. Now, um, the, the trivia, um, what everybody wants to know, like what's with the batting stance with, <laughs> it's a little with, bit Teddy, with Teddy Roosevelt, <laughs> um, uh, I will leave it to uh, people to go. Uh, I don't want to say it explicitly, but um, Teddy Roosevelt had a perspective on baseball, <laughs> which you can go- which you can Google. Interesting. Um, and said perspective would lead you to believe that if he ever picked up a bat and tried to play the game, <laughs> he probably wouldn't know what to do. That's very funny. Uh, and <laughs> so this is our tribute to. Um, if Teddy Roosevelt, real Teddy Roosevelt, knowing sort of how he related to baseball and his perspective on baseball, um, you would realize that if you asked him to play baseball, um, he this is the pose he'd look. This is exactly what it looked like. Before I let you get out of here, Jason, I want to ask you about the type though, because you, you mentioned the types a big part of this brand, or I guess I should say the the script here. Obviously, the double R's is uh, the the double R logo is a is a prominent one. But it's, you know, this is a little bit different from, you know, some of the other baseball scripts. It's sort of evocative of a time period. What was your thinking in developing this script? Yeah, I think, um, and it's how we approach script uh, baseball uh, lettering in general is, yeah, usually the character-driven hats, they sell the best. They sell better than letters, hands down. Uh, We've talked about that. If you're a kid in... um, you know, uh, I don't know if you're a kid in San Diego and you're like, Hey, we want to be a little league team. And, um, you know, the only letter from that team is an, you know, an S for example, Mm -hmm. you're going to be like, uh, or not an S, but like a C you're like, ah, C like we're in San Diego. Like, ah, just, I like that team, but I'm not going to wear the C that has no relevance. So that's why caps are very character driven, um, because of little league sales or youth baseball sales, I should say. Um, and so we try to make Jersey lettering a little more uh, major league. And I think the question that we always ask, um, just so it doesn't feel completely circusy, right? We want like there sort of be this balance. Um, and I think one of the questions we always ask is, where is the Venn diagram lap over between what we consider like a major league baseball Jersey lettering or script and the story hmm. um and in this instance with the rough riders um there were uh there were sort of three venn diagrams it was like major league baseball meets teddy roosevelt's sort of era like what would be appropriate for that time period and then also like texas and it was like, what is the sweet spot between like something, you know, sort of like the Oakland A's, the Baltimore Orioles, you know, classic MLB script, something that was, you know, of Teddy Roosevelt's era. And then how do we bring like a sort of like Texas flair to it? And so that's how we landed on it. And you had to use the star because it's Texas and that's the law. I mean, it is it is the law. Like when we signed the contract, like that was uh, 
point number one. <laughs> it was not even an amendment or an amendment. It was a, a, a point number one. Yeah. Well, Jason, now that I have been to San Diego, been to the Brandio Studios, I really wish that we were having this conversation at Stone Brewing. Yeah. Uh, right there. Like, what is it? Uh, less than a quarter mile? From I can literally mile. throw my laptop at it. Like, Don't throw your a, laptop at it because a, you're doing a, a lot of important work out there. And, and you know, <laughs> we need that laptop out there in the minor league baseball world. But uh, no, these, these conversations are always so much fun. There's so much that goes into these brands. And I love hearing these stories. You know, and one thing I will say to the credit of the whole writers organizations um, organization, when we come up with a brand, candidly, we're often thinking about, is this concept too, does it require too much of the staff to implement, mm. right? Because sometimes you have ideas and you're like, listen, we're going to go back to San Diego and we're on other projects. We're not going to be working full time, living, eating, breathing it every day. Mm-hmm. Um, is this a concept that's too complicated for the staff to run with? And man, a whole brand around Teddy Roosevelt (laughs) is like a huge ask, right? right? That's a huge ask because like, you know, when you're like in minor league baseball, you're getting into promotions, you're getting into marketing. You're not thinking like, you know, I'm getting into the assignment of creating a whole brand every day around Teddy Roosevelt. And I will give the staff like the incredible amount of credit. Like they had like, you know, Early on, they had like Teddy Tuesdays or like they have like wisdom of quotes from Teddy Roosevelt that were like uh, motivational sort of like personal development things Yeah, where people were like, yeah, that guy had some good things to say, right? <laughs> um, and just like sort of like, you know, poking yourself up by your bootstraps and like hard work and never giving up and and just real sort of, it was sort of like a Texas vibe to it, which was fun. Yeah. Um, they had a lot of like, you know, murals and paintings of the era and of Teddy and, you know, fun stuff with quotes around the stadium. And it just was like, they, re- they really owned it. Just the whole thing is just, I, I, it's hard to do. And they did it great. I remember when I was writing the story uh, in sportslogos.net about this brand way back when I remember that there was the, you know, they had the, the store was the writer's outpost and they have a restaurant there called the bull moose saloon. Uh, and it was just sort of like the the. I remember there are photos in that article that just had like the team colors like throughout the ballpark. And so yeah, you yeah. can. I I've never been. I would like to get to a game there. But uh, you know, I I I'm I can see from the photos and and what I hear about the ballpark that what you're saying is is spot on. So, Jason, thank you again. It's so great to have you back on the podcast. And yeah, uh, thanks as always for being so generous with your time in person and on Zoom. My pleasure. Let's do it again soon. We absolutely will. Thank you, Jason. All right, everyone, welcome back. I'm very pleased for the very first time on the Baseball by Design podcast to be welcoming a president of the United States. I am joined right now by Theodore Roosevelt himself. Mr. President, welcome to the podcast. Thank you kindly, Mr. Caputo. I'm delighted to be with you and your listeners for the duration of the interview. I wish you would call me as my friends call me, Colonel. From my brief time in the 1st United States Volunteer Cavalry, History knows us as the Rough Riders, and I do believe that is not unrelated to the topic of our conversation today. Well, Colonel, it's absolutely what we're going to be talking about. I I would love to know, from your perspective, as a Rough Rider, as the leader of the Rough Riders themselves, first of all, if you would, just tell me, who were the Rough Riders and what did you all do? 
the Rough Riders, that was a popular name given to uh, my regiment by the press and by the people of the country at the time of the Spanish-American War. At the outset uh, of the conflict with uh, Spain over the freedom of the people of Cuba, I was the Assistant Secretary of the United States Navy. I wanted to resign my position, which I did, uh, to take up a position that would allow me to get into the front lines of the battle. Congress passed a resolution uh, that uh, provided for four volunteer regiments to be raised across the country, and I was offered command of the first volunteer cavalry regiment. I, in a rare moment of professional humility, requested that my friend, Colonel Leonard Wood, the White House surgeon for whom Fort Leonard Wood in Missouri would eventually be named, he'd been in at the capture of Geronimo in the Southwest, and I thought he could lead the regiment, uh, and I might, uh, as a captain previously in the New York National Guard, I might require a week or two of combat experience in order to lead the regiment. We famously trained in San Antonio, Texas, a harem-scarum bunch by statute, men from the Southwestern Territories, Arizona Territory, New Mexico Territory, Indian and Oklahoma Territory. But when the regiment was expanded, I was able to accept some of the 20,000 volunteers who had written to me by letter and telegram uh, to join the regiment. And that included uh, men from Harvard and Princeton and Yale, many of whom had played baseball in those Ivy League colleges. And uh, we trained in San Antonio, uh, shipped off to Tampa, Florida, and then about two-thirds of my regiment, without their horses for lack of transport, made the trip to Cuba. My crowded hour, July 1st, 1898, the Battle of Kettle Hill and the broader Battle of San Juan Heights. In a way, I was a war hero of the Spanish-American War, that fall, it led to my election as governor of the Empire State. After my two-year term, the Republican bosses decided to kick me out to a place uh, from which I might never be heard from again, the vice presidency of the United States. And sadly, within six months of our inauguration in March of 1901, in September of 1901, President McKinley was shot at the Buffalo Exposition in September 6, 1901. And upon his death on September 14th, I became the 26th president of the United States, a, a uh, route uh, rising like a rocket that never would have occurred, but for the less than six months that I spent first as lieutenant colonel and then colonel of the first United States Volunteer Cavalry, the Rough Riders. Well, Colonel, you were a a sickly child. It's well documented. You had severe asthma and and you were not well as a child, which you eventually were able to turn around and, and you had a, 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 you believed in physical exertion and sports and athletics became important to you. How, why was sport and, and physical activity important to you in your lifetime? When I was a boy of 11 years old, weak and sickly with asthma, so much smaller than the other boys my age, my father, Theodore Roosevelt, the greatest man I ever knew, he called me into his study for a heart-to-heart -heart talk. I knew the seriousness of the subject to follow, for rather than calling me by the diminutive nickname by which I was known in the family, T.D., he said, Theodore, you have the mind, but you have not the body. Without the aid of the body, the mind cannot go as far as it otherwise should. It is hard work and drudgery, but you must make your body. I said, Father, I shall. And I set out to make my body with calisthenics. I lifted weights. I swam. I rode. 
I worked on the parallel bars and on the rings. I even took boxing lessons in the classical manner, and I built my body. And it does appear I may have overdone it just a bit. <laughs> uh, my father led the family uh, on uh, long horseback rides, uh, long hikes, first uh, out at Long Branch along the Jersey Seashore, later along the Hudson River and in the Adirondacks, and, and ultimately out in Oyster Bay, Long Island, uh, where we had a summer home called Tranquility. Uh, life there was anything but tranquil. There was so much outdoor activity, swimming, rowing boats. I eventually built a home at Oyster Bay and so enjoyed rowing boats that I would row across Long Island Sound all the way to Rye, New York and back, a, a trip of some 30 miles round trip, rowing in the choppy seas on the Sound. I was shot in the chest in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, October 14, 1912. I was then a man 54 years old, almost 55. I was taken to the hospital in Mercy, uh, Mercy Hospital in Chicago. The doctor there who examined me said he'd never seen such a powerful chest uh, on a man. I think from years of rowing and other outdoor activities, wood chopping and such. But with regards to sport, my brother Elliot, uh, whom we called Nell in the family, in history, he would be Eleanor Roosevelt's father. Uh, he and I, as young boys, contested all the time uh, uh, foot races, uh, long jumps, uh, who could climb a hill the quickest. I do believe in sport, but I believe in sport as game, as pleasure. Now, I did not think that sports should be professional. Uh, I liked amateur sports. And I do believe that during my time, and perhaps even more so in the time hence, uh, that uh, sports as a profession, sports where we actually uh, laud and magnify uh, the achievements on the sporting field, well, it was so very important for me that a man be well-rounded, show himself physically fit, but most importantly, so that when duty called upon him, he was physically able to perform those duties. You might know that uh, as a result of a conference held at the White House in 1905, I influenced the beginning of the National Collegiate Athletic Association in 1906. Well, so here we are in the 21st century, and there are at least three baseball teams that I can think of that are named for you or have your image in their branding, including the one we're discussing today, the Frisco Rough Riders. What was your particular connection with baseball in addition to these other sports? I was really more of a football man, football being the big collegiate game during my lifetime. Uh, a close connection I had with baseball was from my youngest son, Quentin. Uh, he played, uh, as I used to call the game, the nine. Quentin and his friends, the White House gang, would etch a field into the South Lawn of the White House. Uh, other neighborhood teams would come to play on the South Lawn. And I was one of the ardent fans standing on the porch of the uh, the south uh, uh, portion of the White House, shouting out, hit it, hit it. The newspaper reporters enjoyed watching the game and would actually publish the box score of Quentin's uh, White House gang and, and their opponents in the following newspaper. At the White House, I invited the championship teams to enjoy the hospitality of the White House. Uh, during my tenure, that included the Cleveland Naps, the New York Highlanders, which you would know as the New York Yankees, and also the Washington Senators, and this during the time of Walter Big Train Johnson uh, being on the mound, I think perhaps 
the greatest pitcher of all time. Uh, the Georgia peach, Ty Cobb, uh, was brought to the White House and visited. Uh, so my connection with baseball, I, I did not ever throw out a first pitch. That was to be done by my successor, William Howard Taft. Well, before I let you go, Colonel, I do want to ask you, in regards to these Frisco Rough Riders, you've seen the branding. I understand that you've actually been to their ballpark for a game. What do you think of of their representation of you uh, in their logo, in their branding? I was informed of the uh, branding of the Rough Riders at the time that they most recently changed the logo. It had been a silhouetted Rough Rider. And that is a symbol very often used by teams that call themselves the Rough Riders. I was shown a new logo. It was a, a gentleman who seemed to be uh, a bit overweight. Uh, now, he was twisted up in a fashion. I think if you look at his follow-through, his feet are in the wrong direction. or his, his grip on the bat doesn't make sense with his stat, but he's a funny-looking fellow. Your listeners cannot see, but I've got my Frisco Rough Riders baseball <laughs> cap and I've got my Frisco Rough Riders t-shirt. You certainly the, the, do. The, the spectacles, the, the mustache, <laughs> the, the, the grinning uh, uh, face. Well, that is sort of an iconic look from the time that I was police commissioner in New York when the newspaper cartoonist would use just my glasses and my teeth as a, as a symbol. And, uh, well, I think it's just a fine symbol. Well, while the, the imagery of, of, President Roosevelt's swinging a baseball bat is is it is a little contorted. It's a, you know it's not the best swing. He is appropriately carrying a big stick. Well done, Mister Caputo. <laughs> it was in St. Paul, Minnesota, September first, Labor Day, nineteen oh one. I was yet vice president and could not know the fate that would befall President McKinley in Buffalo five days hence. I first quoted the old African proverb. Speak softly and carry a big stick. You will go far. In Africa, it meant that a man might travel from his own tribal region to and through other tribal regions and do so peacefully, unmolested, as long as he spoke diplomatically. But it helped if he had a big stick and looked like he knew how to use it, too. Uh, for me, it's the Washingtonian concept of peace through strength that the most effectual means to preserve the peace is to prepare for war. My speech was about the American Navy forward deployed and how appropriate today that the USS Theodore Roosevelt nuclear aircraft carrier, 5,000 Navy and Marine personnel aboard is called by the Navy, the big stick. I love it. Well, Colonel, thank you for joining me. I'm going to uh, ask you if you wouldn't mind handing over the microphone to your friend, Joe Wiegand. I've been delighted to be with you. I look forward to seeing you down the trail. Mr. Wiegand, you're wanted by Mr. Caputo. Joe. Hi, Paul. Hello. <laughs> How nice to see you. It's great to see you, sir. What? Uh, and what great to see your listeners, too. <laughs> great to see our audio podcast listeners. Yeah. You are a first-person living history interpreter who portrays Teddy Roosevelt. Isn't Sorry, that a wonderfully strange thing to do as a, as a profession? <laughs> but, uh, Paul, it's a lot like my, my feelings for baseball. I would do it for free if I could. But <laughs> as a kid growing up outside of Chicago in the suburbs, I couldn't hit the junk. Truth mm. be told, I couldn't even hit the fastball. Right. But if, like uh, Rusty Staub, I could stick my head out in front of the plate, I'd wind up on third base. 
There you uh, go. Love baseball. Uh, it's such a wonderful analogy for life. Clearly, you know, Teddy Roosevelt lives on in, in our collective memories. And obviously, this is something that you're you're doing that's important to folks and, you know, is, is going to carry on for as long as you want it to. So we do say that uh, Theodore Roosevelt is certainly Mount Rushmore worthy. <laughs> uh, he's very often uh, estimated by historians, uh, both uh, American and uh, there's an annual review of European historians of American history. And he's always ranked in the top four or top five of American presidents. Uh, the Nobel Peace Prize for settling the Russo-Japanese War, the building of the Panama Canal, the, the steaming around the world, the Great White Fleet, the first president to leave the United States during his term of office going to Panama. Uh, there are so many of these firsts, so many of the precedents that Theodore Roosevelt sets. Uh, the fact that he didn't, uh, 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 that he wasn't the first president to throw out a first pitch is almost a a little lament, but his <laughs> his what he called the glory of work and the joy of living. Yep. And I think I might have told you my worlds came together when in 2016, my calendar allowed me to attend six of the seven World Series games between the Chicago Cubs and then the Cleveland Indians. I took the Amtrak back and forth on a sleeper, which seemed so appropriate. The only game I missed was October 27th, Theodore Roosevelt's birthday, I was performing at his home at Sagamore Hill, Oyster Bay, Long Island. I dressed up Paul in costume. I had a Cubs logo big uh, <laughs> on my uh, jacket. 1908 with the Cubs logo was the zero. <laughs> and I knew that every newspaper reporter and uh, TV reporter, six hours before the game, would be looking for a story outside of the ballpark. And the lead wrote itself. The last time the Cubs won the World Series, Teddy Roosevelt was the president. <laughs> the joy and elation I had in Cleveland, extra innings, game seven, the Cubs win. And the Cubs fans, about 200 of us, uh, congregated as the 10,000 Cleveland fans uh, uh, filtered out of the, the great square. I wasn't in the ballpark. I was outside with the, the, the working class fans, of which I consider myself one. And there was a Cubs fan standing next to me as big as a barn door. And I looked over to him and I said, if you put me on your shoulders, I'll give you 20 bucks. <laughs> and he got down. I jumped on his shoulders. I had my W towel and the color photo that went all over the world was Teddy Roosevelt flying the W. The good Lord could have called me home like Harry Carey, uh, uh, just as sure as, uh, you know, the good Lord made uh, little green apples. The Cubs were going to win the world series someday. So I even almost get teary-eyed thinking about the emotion and elation I felt for generations of Cubs fans who never got to experience that moment, but I did. As Teddy Roosevelt, I mean, how fun is that? That's pretty incredible. I can understand you, Joe, the Cubs fan, really relishing that moment, irrespective of the fact that Teddy Roosevelt himself was more a football guy than a baseball guy, <laughs> which I and learned Paul, recently. When I look at the energy and the capital invested in the sports industry, I do think that Theodore Roosevelt would be calling upon the American people to perhaps consider that energy and that investment and take that to some of the problem solving uh, that we need in this country, because I do believe that's what Theodore Roosevelt, the man that means so much to me and the American people, would have us do. Well, that is very well said, and I very much appreciate that sentiment. Joe, so great to catch up with you again. We go uh, way back, and uh, so it's nice to to see you again, and I hope we get to catch up again soon. 
in the meantime, where can folks go see the work that you do online and how can people reach you? Thanks kindly, Paul. Uh, TeddyRooseveltShow.com is a great place to keep up with my calendar. I do tour the country and I'm blessed to be every summer in Medora, North Dakota. Medora.com is the website for tickets to the Teddy Roosevelt Show. I lead daily hikes uh, up our point-to-point park. We're the gateway to Theodore Roosevelt National Park, a region of which Theodore Roosevelt wrote, this is where the romance of his life began. And Paul, we're actually building a Theodore Roosevelt Presidential Library, a $300 million project planned to open July 4th, 2026, our semi-quincentennial of the America 250 celebration. In the spirit of my one of my heroes, Ernie Banks, with the hope that we might do this again, all I can say, Paul, is thank you, and let's play two. Joe, thank you so much. What a blast. All of that contact information will be in the show notes. In the meantime, you know, like I said, there's more teams out there named for Teddy Roosevelt. We'll find a chance to do this again. Godspeed. All the best to you and your listeners. Thanks, Paul. It is time once again for your favorite, my favorite segment on Baseball by Design. Studio Simon Stumpers with my friend, Dan Simon. I have to admit, when I logged on this morning, a little startled to see you in uh, what appears to my eyes to be a an oversized <laughs> flat brim cap with your George Washington swinging an axe logo from the Fred Nats on it. So I have a feeling that that is because two of the next three studio Simon stumpers that we're going to be recording have to do with presidents. Yes, there there definitely is a theme. And with regard to the oversized part of it, uh, when New Era sends samples, for whatever reason, it's always a seven and a half mm. and a size seven and a half, that is. And that is not my size. My my um, my my bean is a little smaller than than that. So I feel like um, I, I'm like Charlie Brown right now with that oversized hat on my head. But um, yeah, it's part of uh, part of our theme for two of our uh, Stumper recordings today. So, yep. And let's get to it. So it's a little little inside baseball there. We're letting on that sometimes we record these in batches here. Today's episode is about the Frisco Rough Riders, a presidential theme for sure. So let's uh, I'm assuming this has something to do with Teddy Roosevelt who seems to be popping up on minor league baseball logos like all over the place these days. Well, um, for for good reason. He was a not just a president, but I think one of the most uh, fascinating figures in, in the history of our country. So, um, and of course, he is immortalized on Mount Rushmore. Um, and we've heard a lot, if you're a sports fan, which I'm sure 99 out of 100 uh, baseball by design listeners are, if not a hundred out of a hundred. Um, you've heard about, uh, you know, who's on the the Yankees Mount Rushmore, who's on the the Dallas Cowboys Mount Rushmore. So, you being a Philadelphia Phillies fan, just out of curiosity, who would be who's on your Philadelphia Phillies Mount Rushmore? Richie Ashburn, Mike Schmidt, Ryan Howard. And is it too soon to say Bryce Harper? Maybe Chase Utley instead of Bryce Harper. That's why Richie Ashburn, Mike Schmidt, Ryan Howard, Chase Utley. A good list. There is a notable omission there. A, a, a Steve Carlton. A certain, yep, Steve Carlton. We're talking about a man 
not only a Hall of Famer, but uh, four Cy Youngs. Not a lot of pitchers have done that. So yeah. to me, to me, Mike Schmidt and Steve Carlton are are givens, and then the other ones. You know, the, everyone you mentioned is certainly one worthy of at least mention, if not inclusion. Um, you also have some that people don't necessarily think of right away. Grover Cleveland Alexander, also sure. known as Pete Alexander, played the first seven years of his 20-year career with the with the Phillies, uh, led the league in wins five times, including three 30-win seasons. Um, so, you know, a, a great pitcher. Then you also have Chuck Klein, somebody who people mm. don't necessarily think of immediately with the Phillies, but another Hall of Famer, played 15 years with the Phillies, uh, led the league in home runs four times, RBIs two times, hits twice, batting once, won an MVP and finished second in the MVP two other times. It's a pretty darn good player who doesn't yeah. get his due as far as mentioned on the um, on for the Phillies Mount Rushmore. But uh, here's a little bit more about Mount Rushmore on which uh, uh, the subject of today's baseball identity is is carved. Um, that subject, of course, Theodore Roosevelt. It was Mount Rushmore was sculpted by a man named Gutson Borglum, um, an interesting name, but he was uh, his parents were Danish immigrants, so so that explains the the origin of that name. Um, now, Mr. Borglum, Gutson Borglum, did not do the sculpting himself. He There were about 400 men that were involved in, in the creation of Mount Rushmore. Um, it started, the work on the project began in 1927 and continued until Borglum's death in 1941. But this is not just about carving into the side of a mountain. This is a, there is a baseball connection here. Mm. Um, Gutson Borglum's son, Lincoln Borglum, loved baseball. And he formed a baseball team made up of the, the Mount Rushmore workers. Um, they would play other company teams around the area. Um, now, this team would have to have had a name. And so our studio Simon Stumper today asks, what was the name of the Mount Rushmore team? Was it A, the Mount Rushmore Carvers, B, the Mount Rushmore Blasters, or C, the Mount Rushmore Drillers? So again, Carvers, Blasters, or Drillers? So Mount Rushmore is about a four to five hour drive from uh, where I live here in Fort Collins. I, I have done that drive. I have made the visit up there and it's a, uh, it's a beautiful place up in the the black Hills up there. It's a, it's a beautiful spot to, to go drive around, go camping, go hiking. I can tell you from my experience there, I remember that the, the primary method that they used to create Mount Rushmore was by blasting. They were using dynamite to essentially, I mean, they were carving away the rock, but they were using dynamite to do it. So I understand that you could probably create a, a baseball-ish double entendre out of carvers and drillers. But the most obvious one to me is, you know, you're, you're blasting a home run and you're also blasting the rock away to carve Mount Rushmore. So I'm going to go with the Mount Rushmore Blasters. 
that would have made for the best name if you ask me. And I, I, my reasoning is the same as your reasoning. It makes a lot of sense. And what you said is indeed the case. As a matter of fact, um, I, I don't have the number in front of me, but in my research in this, they talked about how many you know, tons of blasted rock were blasted off of the face of, of the this mountain. Um, and it, it all lies, um, or the great majority of it still lies there at the base of the mountain. You know, it's a lot of rock to have to move and get out of there. So I've not visited Mount Rushmore, but I've seen the photos and all this broken up rock is is all there in piles at the at the bottom of the mountain. So blasters would make sense, but of course there was carving and drilling that went on. There were people of all different um, skills that had to be involved in the the creation of of this wonderful monument. Um, and drilling was included, and they were C the Mount Rushmore drillers. Now. This was not just, this team was not just a bunch of guys playing together for fun. Um, Lincoln Borglum, the, the son of Gutson Borglum, uh, was such a big baseball fan that at a certain point, he made athletic um, ability sort of a determining factor when deciding who would be hired to, to mm -hmm. work on the mountain. If you could play, you stood a better chance of, of getting a job working on the mountain. Um, and in 1937, they the 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 Mount Rushmore Drillers competed in the South Dakota State Amateur Baseball Tournament and finished now either second or third in the tournament. Um, now, when I say second or third, that's because the internet does not always have definitive answers on things, and I've seen several posts, stories, articles that mentioned them finishing third, and then also several that said they finished second. You know, they made it to the championship game. Whether it was second or third, I don't know, but the point is they were good enough to finish, um, you know, in the top three um, throughout the entire state of South Dakota uh, amateur baseball ranks. So uh, it was some some good baseball by some very talented people who I, I'm just amazed by how you can take a mountain and make it look so much like these uh like these presidents you know yeah. it, it, you're not working with a, ch a little chisel and you know uh, you're talking with the whole side of a mountain it, it's 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 a feat that uh I I think is pretty amazing I will say that while they were good at carving mountains they were bad at choosing uh baseball team names because uh <laughs> that uh with all due respect to the Tulsa drillers the Mount Rushmore blasters would have been a much better name so uh I I acknowledge the uh I'm not gonna I'm not gonna challenge the uh the results of this studio Simon Stumper but uh I will say I agree with you would have been a better name to go Mount Rushmore blasters let's finish up with a did you know did Ooh, okay. you know that Mount Rushmore is actually unfinished each of the presidents was meant to also have a body carved out of the mountain. But um, upon, uh, I, I, I believe the reason it stopped, it, it stopped because of lack, of lack of funding. But the reason for lack of funding was the funding was not ongoing. They had a certain amount of money and at some point they ran out and there was still a lot of carving left to go. You know, they it started in 1927, finished in 1941, which is when Guts and Borglum um, died. Um, that's 14 years. And they they were 
you know, maybe half done. So you can understand how the, the funding would run out, but it would have been, I, I've actually seen a picture of a small scale, uh, Borglum made a, a small sculpture of what the whole thing would have looked like. And there's their, you know, coats and everything. And it was actually kind of cool to see that. I want to imagine that the bodies were real tiny, that they were like little bobblehead looking presidents. <laughs> or like the, <laughs> like the, uh, like a lot of the characters I do in the brand identities I do for minor yeah. league baseball teams. <laughs> uh, I'm picturing four Canapolis cannonballers next to each other there. That's uh, <laughs> that's how I want to envision the bodies on the uh, on Mount Rushmore. Well, Dan, this is why this is everyone's favorite segment on Baseball by Design. Thank you so much. And uh, I know there's more to come. So we will see you next week right back here in the basement in Fort Collins, Colorado or you live from Louisville with all of those flat brim seven and a half size hats right behind you there. We'll see you next week. Well, I'm looking forward to that. And I might, given the theme of our, our next one, I might be wearing this very same hat. We'll see. That How embarrassing would it be to be wearing the exact same thing for two episodes in a row? I shudder at the thought of the embarrassment. Okay, Paul, have a good one. See you next week. See you next week.